Welcome to The Cap, where we are here to speak with college reps and other professionals in the field of college admissions to help answer all your questions and guide you through every step of the process. So if you're serious about college admissions, you've come to the right place. Are you ready? Let's talk about it. And now, here's your host, Dr. John Durante. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and I am here to introduce you to college admissions representatives and other professionals in the field of college admissions. Our purpose is to serve you, the students and parents, so that you may gain insight straight from the people who ultimately make the decisions. Regardless of whether you will apply to a particular school being highlighted, you should listen to all of the episodes as each guest will give you tremendous insight and advice on every aspect of the college admissions process, prompting you to come up with your own follow-up questions for when you visit campus or meet with a college admissions representative yourself. Lastly, if you have any questions you'd like me to cover on future episodes or any comments you'd like to share, please email me at collegeadmissionstalk at gmail.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.collegeadmissionstalk.com. So are you ready? Let's talk about it. Welcome to The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. I am your host, John Durante, and it gives me great pleasure to introduce to you today Adam Webster, who's the Senior Associate Dean and Director of Admissions at Carleton College in beautiful Northfield, Minnesota. Adam, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing great. It's a, a pretty solid Friday, if I may. And so uh, <laughs> delighted to be here, John. Thanks for the invitation. And uh, kudos to all the families who tune in and listen to this stuff, because the college search is um, uh, sort of an enormous uh, thing. And giving people room and time and resources to navigate it is all to the good. So what should we talk about? <laughs> well, that's why we're here. We're here to talk about the college admissions process. So let's get right to it. What are some of the things that you personally love about Carlton that makes it so appealing for so many students to want to apply and ultimately attend? Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a good question. It's a question that basically every student and family has in their search of this process. This is where I confess that I'm actually a Carleton alum. Uh, and uh, the reason I mention it is that uh, I feel like I have a particular commitment or an understanding on the inside of sort of what makes Carleton sing as a sort of student experience. So one of the things that I, I think it all starts with this is the student body. Those are the reason anyone in missions um, like chooses to do this work. It is to help people come together in community and to find the students who would thrive uh, in the sort of mix of opportunities, experiences, and, and challenges, if I may, uh, of what we offer. And so that is the best part. And I think I hear it from families over and over. If they find that there are their kind of people at a campus, they're going to they're, they're, they're gonna be happy at that campus. And at Carleton, that is certainly front and center because the students who look at Carleton are looking in a national context for colleges. They're looking looking for a particular vibe on campus. And I think we have that embedded and centered in the student body. I think part of that vibe uh, is the second thing I'll talk about here, which is really important. It's the faculty commitment to student success, right? Like it is something that is a very fashionable thing to say in sort of higher education now that faculty are truly student-centered. Um, I am fond of saying Carleton was student-centered before it was cool to be student-centered. So um, <laughs> this is a place where faculty are assessed and measured and like given every incentive in the world 
to be exceptional educators of 18 to 22 year olds in an undergraduate curriculum that sets them up for lives they want to lead. What comes from that faculty commitment is a sense of, I think, reciprocity and um, recognition by our students that faculty care about them as people, as humans on this planet. And that only encourages them to be extra invested in the, the work they do for their classes. And that encourages faculty to be stunned by the efforts and ambitions and sort of insight students bring to that conversation. Finally, and this is maybe for the parents out there, I will say that um, in the world of higher education, Carleton uh, sort of stands out as an institution that has a highly functional relationship between staff and faculty. I, I, I think there's many ways in which big institutions like this can get siloed. And while there's always some truth to that uh, out of necessity, Carleton is functional and community minded and has the humility required to allow us to adapt and adjust in real time pretty nimbly in the comparative landscape of things. So for me as a professional, it is a joy to work at a place like this. But I think you should know as a student, in invisible ways, it will radically improve your approach to what you're finding and uh, in sort of opportunities and possibilities that are sort of ruled out by bureaucratic morass and in other institutions. So. Well, I appreciate you talking about the positive vibe. And Adam, I read a statistic recently that 95% of the freshman class returned, which is truly astonishing, a testament to the great work that you do in admissions in terms of getting the right students to come to your campus, but also the great work. You mentioned the faculty and how they truly are student-centered. So it's the great work of the faculty and the entire Carlton community that makes the students happy, which again is why 95% of them returned. A lot of students and parents, when I speak to them, they want me to ask questions more about the social aspect of the different colleges. So Adam, what can you tell us about life on and even off campus at Carleton? It's a really good question. And it's it's one that I think every family should be asking about because I tend to be a believer in in the idea that campus community and location matter more in a college search than first meets the eye. So I'll do my best to translate this for a national audience that can't visit in person while recognizing the best way to understand it is to visit in person. Uh, so um, one of those things to note is like, it's a fully residential campus. One of the reasons so many of our students return for their sophomore year is they have a really interesting and deep network of intergenerational connections to classmates on campus. It is dorm-centered. Um, our upper-class students live in dorms or college-owned housing. Like, it is just a place that feels that way. We also don't have a Greek system uh, of any kind and never had and never will. And I understand why institutions have that or had that. I will just say that I think Carleton doesn't have that sort of like that history hanging over the present. Carleton's always felt like a place that um, was centered in the dorms and that you would have meaningful conversations, you know, uh, in the student lounge that you might continue from a classroom space. And that makes total sense. People are not segmenting in the way they might in other places. So um, I do think being in, as you called it, beautiful Northfield, Minnesota is an essential part to understand the student experience. I feel I should get ahead of this. There is a formidable winter in Minnesota to name something that I think many families understand. And I, I recognize it snows in many corners of the country, but um, Minnesota takes a certain pride in the intensity of the seasonal shifts here. And it is um, 
it is a thing, right? The reason I mention it is Northfield is a really fantastic location to appreciate that seasonal shift. We have a substantial arboretum on campus right now, sort of a actively maintained space with um, groomed trails for running, for skiing, all of that kind of stuff. So for students who like to center themselves uh, in their landscape, in their environment, um, we offer that sort of in a natural sense, but we also offer it like in a town sense. Northfield is a magnificent college town, right? Partly because there are two colleges here, not just one. St. Olaf College is right across the river, two miles away from us. Um, That is another college with 3,000 students in undergraduate enrollment in the liberal arts curriculum, just meaning that in a town of 20,000 people, there are 5,000 students. This is a really sweet setup for students who want a small, intimate community environment, but also like a critical mass of people interested in sort of undergraduate degree work and the world at large and engaged with resources to make those things become accessible. We do that really well. So um, otherwise, I think the magic of Carleton is the fact that because you're on campus and because everybody is coming from somewhere else to make a home there, Everybody is invested in making that community work, right? You can't re- you can't rely on the idea that you're going to just go home on the weekends or connect to the places you always knew. Everyone is negotiating a really interesting student body who are doing different things and want to be chatting with those people. You may never cross paths with these folks again. And like, it seems like a wasted opportunity to not take advantage of that. The upshot is people like what they find, right? They are finding interesting people who have uh, really interesting um, insights to share on the world at large. Well, we appreciate that insight in terms of what you offer, again, on your campus and beyond. And speaking of the campus, Adam, Students usually spend at least four years in college, so if at all possible, visiting campus is definitely an essential part of the admissions process for, again, students and their parents. So if they're able to visit, what are some of the spots that they absolutely must see? And could you offer us any questions that they should be asking to determine whether or not Carlton is the right fit for them? I, yeah, I will do my best here. I think it's a good and wide-ranging um, sort of set of questions. Um, I am a believer that every visit should always start with the admissions office, if possible. We are designed to be the front door to the college for many of our visitors, whether they are prospective students and families or not. We're premised upon helping people wayfind their way around campus, around the town, to the airport in the Twin Cities, like it is just a, it is a simple thing to do. I, I, I sometimes think families like to get the skinny on a college by bypassing admissions. And I understand the impulse, but I really think you're able to do both stop in admissions and still get the skinny like it's, it's possible. So I encourage you to stop there and, and we're built to like provide you the things you need to find the resources you need. At Carleton, I would say there's like this is a wide ranging liberal arts curriculum. I encourage families to visit two anchor buildings uh, on the extremes of the curriculum, I think is really helpful. One of those is called the White's Center for Creativity. This is a space where we sort of created an interdisciplinary um, learning space in the humanities uh, and arts spaces. So cinema and media studies, um, our music department, um, in addition to rotating arts faculty and other coursework uh, across the curriculum will house out of this space. It also serves as sort of a second student union and community meeting place. So it's a really dynamic place where like 
you know, there's a coffee group of retirees who come in and hang out at the cafe in the lobby there, or there's a really robust summer movie series sometimes for the community at large. And because it's built into a modified old middle school in the town of Northfield, it has community resonance in that way. So for families and students looking to get an understanding of the connection between the town of Northfield and the College of Carleton, how to, how to do that, that's one really great place to go, in addition to seeing what the, how, how faculty and students use that space. On the other side, I would encourage students to visit uh, Anderson Hall of Sciences. This is sort of an interdisciplinary sciences space, like where we sort of thought a lot about how we can provide better laboratory access and experience for students who are interested in sort of biochemistry rather than just biology or just chemistry, and also thought about what laboratory tools are appropriate for, um, you know, first year college students versus advanced students versus faculty research needs. We sort of really scaled that. It is it is a space that has lots of um, ability to create secure laboratory environments, but it also uses lots of glass. So you can see into learning spaces that are active in real time. And I think for families and students who want to get a read on that, it's a really fun place to be. It too has a cafe and is a really popular sort of like meeting area for um, advisory conversation or just catching up. So I think students really like that. I mentioned the Arboretum already. For those who like the outdoors, you should go. You should know what Minnesota looks like in a natural sense. So beyond that, final thing I'll add briefly is I've mentioned Northfield. You've mentioned Northfield. Carleton was founded very close to the founding of Northfield itself, meaning we are built right on the pedestrian downtown stretch of Northfield itself. A simple walk down Division Street really tells you a lot about uh, the civic sense of place that Northfield brings to bear and will be part of your student experience. Well, we appreciate that. And of course, we're talking about visiting campus, which falls under showing demonstrated interest. So I was curious, what are some of the things that students do to demonstrate their interest? And Adam, do you track such things as part of your overall application process? I'm glad this question came up because we, I will state this clearly, Carleton does not track demonstrated interest. (laughs) It's not an essential part of our process and it really never has been. Um, I do caution, however, that the flip side of that is we expect our applicants to have some working understanding of what we are as an institution, right? So rather than a, a pro forma demonstration of interest, meaning you've opened that email, you've shaken that hand, you've been to that event, we provide all of these opportunities for students and families to get an understanding of what we are and how we might help them in their college search. The way that shows up in the application is your understanding of how your particular interests and needs as an applicant can be realized or supported at a place like Carleton. So that's the job. And so for some people, that's simply meeting me uh, at their high school when I come by to visit in the spring or the fall. For other people, it is um, a stop by campus because they're really trying to get a, 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 a read on the student body itself because that's become really essential in their college search. I'm wary of telling people what the right things are to do because I, the more I do this work, uh, the more I sense that everybody approaches the college search with different needs and wants in mind. And it is incumbent upon colleges and admissions offices to sort of meet those students and families where they're at. So um, I would I would um, free families from the need to demonstrate interest at Carleton, but I would encourage them to understand why they're applying to Carleton more fully, whatever the reasons may be. 
Well, I appreciate that because you're saying rather than demonstrating your interests, it's more important to demonstrate your understanding of Carlton or frankly any other college that you're going to be applying to, to really help determine whether or not the school is the right fit for you or not. So I really appreciate that, Adam. Thank you so much. And I also know that Carlton is in fact test optional. Can you share the percentage of students that were admitted that did not submit test scores? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to. We, we spend some time looking at this uh, both in real time, but also at sort of year-end assessment. So for last year's class, 53% of the students we admitted submitted or shared a test score with us at the moment of um, sort of decision-making. Um, I will say on behalf of higher education, this is a really important new thing. Colleges and universities will ask you after you've been uh, sort of admitted and when you're enrolling to share test scores if you have them to share because they are interested themselves in internal assessments. So don't be shy about that. They're not revoking offers of admission. They're doing their own internal (laughs) research. So you can only help them by sharing that stuff. I mentioned it here only because uh, that brings the number of students who shared a test score with us at the time at the time they enroll in September up to 60%. So another 7% are sharing scores after the admissions decision has been made. Well, we appreciate that insight. Thank you so much. And speaking of the admissions process, as professionals in the field, how do you determine the number of applicants to accept, waitlist, and even deny when you obviously receive far more applications from deserving students than seats available? Really good question. I'm glad you framed it as because it's a professional field. It really is. This is the bread and butter of the admissions uh, profession as it exists. We are here to sort of assess uh, an applicant pool and find students who um, will thrive in the program offerings we make available to them and also help us become a better version of ourselves year by year, decade by decade. So it's really fun. It's a really personalized business too. I, I think I would just first say, we are not guided by a huge algorithm saying admit X, deny Y, and waitlist Z. It is. It doesn't work like that. Every year we start fresh uh, based on the context of sort of some collegiate priorities. I'll talk more about those in a second, but also like what the applicant pool looks like. And I, I think I would start right there. Our, our primary job as admissions practitioners is to do justice to our applicant pools. And that's particularly clear for us as a residential liberal arts college that we want to make sure we're reflecting the, you know, a broadly diverse applicant pool by geography, by identity, by interest and aspiration. We want all of that stuff. I think we want a community of people who want to live in close concert with each other and hang out and learn together in the dorms or in classes, but also are headed on very different life trajectories. That is like a fascinating place to get to be an undergraduate. And I think for many of our alumni, it is the most meaningful point of stop on their sort of professional trajectory. They were at a place where people were from other places and going different places. But for four years, they lived in beautiful Northfield, Minnesota, and had a chance to really get to know people with divergent life callings. That's great. Flip side of that uh, is we have some uh, institutional priorities and goals that we um, sort of aim to um, 
sort of address in our admissions process. Uh, we are a Schuler Foundation uh, grant recipient that has encouraged us to think a lot about how we work with Pell-eligible students. It's no surprise that higher education is uh, a difficult-to-access uh, location, particularly for under-resourced families, and our job is to sort of cut against that. It, it, it improves the academic and residential experience for all of our students to have a, a truly diverse student body, uh, and that includes socioeconomic spread. So um, we're really looking for families families um, across the continuum of income and resources to come into community together. I also would say uh, we're one of the few schools I know of that has a sort of fixed requirement to enroll and matriculate middle income students, right? Uh, students from uh, households where the income sort of maps to plus or minus some amount of the 50% median in the U.S. And so presently, 30% of our students need to come from a middle income household, which becomes a really interesting partner process as we think about reflecting, again, the whole spread of sort of uh, the uh, American college-going um, cohorts in our incoming courses. Um, beyond that, I would say there's a budgetary reality at, at any uh, school, and I mean budget in the broadest sense. Partly that's about how much financial aid dollars do we have to support families coming in. Uh, there's going to be limits to what we can admit based on that reality. So I encourage students and families to get an understanding of what a college is going to cost. But for a place like Carleton, um, we're really interested in making sure that we maintain a small, deeply residential learning environment. And for us, that means we have only so many beds on a fully residential campus. We want the average class size here is 15 students to a class. Um, that means we have some real caps on what we have and can enroll. And we're not trying to grow as an institution. We want to just keep doing a better job at the operational scale we have working for us right now. Well, we really appreciate that insight and the institutional priorities and goals. Thank you so much, Adam, for sharing that insight. We really appreciate it. So going back to the application, obviously the transcript is the most important part of the academic portion of the application. Adam, can you walk us through what are you looking for when reviewing an applicant's transcript and does it differ based on a student's intended major? Yeah, this is a very good question, I think, and everyone's transcript will look different. Uh, and I think that that's okay. Like, rarely do we have students in the identical course trajectory, and rarely are they the exact same grades. Um, and I think, please, students and families, hear me when I say that we understand it and we appreciate that diversity. This is appropriate. So, um, as I think about the transcript in general, we're looking for both balance and rigor. Uh, we are a fully uh, intensive, selective liberal arts college, our students will be taking coursework across the curriculum. And so even if you feel like you are meant to be a chemist and that is where your calling is, fantastic. We still really admire students who have pursued high-level coursework on the other side of the curriculum because it is simply interesting to them uh, or it broadens the way they think about their own potential uh, calling as a chemist, whatever that may be. We really like that. So I think for us in the assessment level of admissions, we do sort of like the five main food groups, as we call them, right? The core disciplines. Uh, and we <laughs> like them for all four years of high school. We recognize that there are many reasons 
reasons that may not be possible to pursue. So we're able to understand that sometimes the section you wanted to take on calculus conflicted directly with the section of, say, AP French, and you had to make a decision. That's fine. Just let us know. We can work with that. Um, I think the balance is important. I think for students who have a particular interest, to borrow the chemistry example, it makes sense to me, uh, at least at some level that you would be pursuing high level coursework in those fields. Um, if you would like to be a doctor, it behooves you to demonstrate a, a transcript uh, that backs some of that up. Not like you've taken organic chemistry, but like biology and chemistry are there in some interest, maybe anatomy. Like there's some sort of idea that your transcript is reflecting who you're interested in becoming. I, I think we understand that you don't have full autonomy over the courses you take in high school, but you have some, uh, and you certainly have enough perspective on what you have been learning in high school and how that might map to what you want to do in college and beyond. And, and we look to that. Um, it doesn't overdetermine stuff. We understand 17-year-olds don't need to have it all figured out yet, um, but we do have an interest in students who I think are more self-aware, and a transcript is a place to become more self-aware of things you've accomplished in areas you might want to grow more in. Well, we appreciate that, and I love how you described the balance and the rigor across the curriculum, not just if you want to be a doctor in the sciences, but like you said, throughout your high school experience. So I really appreciate that. Did you want to say something? Can I come? Please. Yeah, I wanted to come right back to that. In addition to the transcript measurement, I think it's important to understand that sometimes in highly selective admissions, there is this sense that you must take the most demanding classes all the time, all the way through. I think higher education has increasingly realized that that is an unsustainable tenor of coursework, right? Find a way to find balance so you can stick through to the long haul. Nothing would be more depressing than absolutely burning yourself out at the moment you arrive at a college that can sort of give you ample opportunity and you're too tired to go forward. Colleges understand that you have to make decisions that are not just about what courses you can get into, but what is manageable for you and your family and the, the life you're leading. We, we can meet you and understand the decisions you've made. We have empathy there, I promise. <laughs> I appreciate that. And I think it's important to note that high school obviously gives you four years of opportunity. So there's multiple ramps. You don't have to be in all AP courses and honors courses, particularly in ninth and 10th grade, but maybe you take some as you progress through your four years, as you mature. Again, that balance is very important over the four years. Would you agree, Adam? I would 100% agree with that. Uh, I mean, the flip side of what I said applies as well. You know, don't avoid rigor because you're afraid of it, but like right. finding that balance. High school is meant to be a chance to practice finding that balance. And so trust yourself to take a, a, a B or two out there if you have to learn uh, some things. That, like colleges will look um, affectionately at, at that kind of stuff. Well, we appreciate that. And going back to the application, what are the different ways that a student can apply to Carlton? And Adam, is there a benefit to applying one way over the other? Yeah, I, I'd like to talk about this a little bit more. So I'm glad you've queued it up, John. Um, you know, uh, we are a campus that still reads applications thoroughly top to bottom. Uh, we um, don't practice committee-based evaluation. So we're reading applications and we use two primary vectors for that, right? QuestBridge application, which is really about I'm, I'm deep in these files right now, so I should just get that out of the way. But this is about helping students from 
uh, like under-resourced backgrounds find an appropriate college match for uh, them. The data would tell you that students who come from lower income households fail to realize, at least systematically, that they are well-equipped to succeed at the most demanding institutions in the country. They have the skill set, and QuestBridge exists to help students identify that. Um, For a school like ours that's interested in sort of growing Pell enrollment and sort of helping students recognize that a small residential college in Minnesota is a fantastic place to set up shop, this application has been really helpful. I mention it because the very designs of that application um, encourage students to share more narrative to, to sort of share more of their story. That's really valuable. Um, it gives them space to articulate the things that may not be obvious in the common application because it is a shorter um, application itself. So I wanted to underline that for families who feel like they need more space to share more narrative, there's an application tool available to you. And so in the spring, uh, the QuestBridge organization based out of California will circulate an application that is a wide open tool for you. If that, if that application format works better for you, explore it. So beyond that, we're a common application school, which is probably the case for many of the families who are listening to this (laughs) podcast. Feel free to lean into it. We've made it as lean and mean as we can to allow you to get through it as fast as possible. Now, portals are like platforms out of the way. Uh, I do think it's important to talk about rounds because that does sort of impact the student's timeline. And I think there's some uh, myth dispelling that I can do in this space as well. Carleton uh, practices fixed admissions dates. We are not a rolling admissions institution, if that makes sense. So um, we do have an early decision format, right? This is understood to be a binding arrangement between the college and the student. If we admit you in an early decision round, we expect you to matriculate. We will ask you to sign documentation before and after uh, your <laughs> your uh, <laughs> offer of admission, underlining that sort of um, sort of expectation obligation along the way. We really believe in that. So our first date is coming up next week. Um, November 15th uh, is the date at which we have our first early decision round. We also have a second early decision round in January. uh, That is the exact same thing, just two months later, um, allowing families a little more time to sort out um, what they would like to do. Early decision, like I said, is a binding arrangement, and it is absolutely for students and families who have found in Carleton a really strong match for the experience they want to have at the undergraduate level. I I hasten to add, it really is about finding a a supreme match, not a statistically informed, I might get in better match. In in other words, (laughs) this is about knowing you want to be at a place because when you're admitted, you're expected to go rather than a, I better apply now or I'll never get in because that's not true for us. We admit most of our students in regular decision, which is worth noting. And that's the wide open landscape uh, that sort of gives students and families the month of April to make up their mind on this. So that said, it's an idyllic round for, for families and students who want to finish this process in November or very early January at the latest, because we'll get back to you with a decision within a month. Uh, and in general, about 40% of the students who come to Carleton will matriculate through an early decision round, uh, one or two. So, you know, that, that can be really intimidating to families, but I think that's... It, you should know that when we admit you, like most, nearly all of those students matriculate on campus, right? So that they're coming. 
Uh, in regular decision, we, we, we extend a large number of offers to allow families to make decisions based on perhaps uh, financial aid awards and the ability to like sort of price shop and compare costs uh, between institutions. We understand uh, that um, that's a really important part of any family search. And we want to make that um, create a, un, like a clear, transparent cost matrix for families to understand. And that's on us. So we notify families. Families in mid-March, if they've been admitted under a regular decision offer, and give them until May 1 to make up their mind. So about 50 to 60% of our students will matriculate through those rounds. It depends a little bit year to year. Well, we appreciate that insight, and I love how you shared that most are, in fact, admitted during the regular decision rounds. That's great. I also appreciate the different platforms that students may use to apply. And, of course, part of the application, regardless of the platform that you use, is, of course, the college essay. Adam, what are some examples of college essays that left an impression with you, and what advice would you share with prospective students in terms of what to think about when sitting down to get ready to write their essays? So every admissions practitioner comes to love college essays, right? It's actually its own genre of, of literature at this point in my life. I feel there's a window in the winter where I can't read something that's more than like 600 words long because I'm only trained to read the college um, application essay. And I think admissions practitioners love them because they're at that really great intersection of young people coming to understand who they are and sharing it in a way and in a key that it makes sense to them. And that is so critical to the admissions process. We're really trying to help students and families find an institutional match in the sort of culture and DNA of a given college and the sort of unfolding sense of where a student is going, right? Like, and what better place than to go to the college essay for that? I hasten to add the college essay is the one place where students have full autonomy about the topic they write about and how they handle it. And colleges and universities expect students to be seizing that opportunity. A transcript, you know, a lot of that stuff is from a previous time in your life and that ship has <laughs> sailed more or less. You can't control that, but you can control an essay. So I think, um, I will talk about this first. Um, I think there's some virtues to a good college essay, and I'll give you some examples in a moment. I think good college essays have a believable voice, right? Families, students, please hear me now. You are enough. You need to be who you are, not who you think admissions people expect you to be. So that notion of believability of authenticity shines so much in our process. And I think that means that we have room for people who can pause before making too um, exaggerated a claim, too pronounced a statement that, frankly, young people are inclined to do sometimes. And that's OK. Like, have some humility, come back, revisit that claim, come forward with something that you feel comfortable and interested in, while also illuminating the limits of that claim, um, sort of exploring that idea or that claim is really valuable. Good writing like this is actually hard because most um, students want to write more words, not less words, and getting to within the common application limits uh, is a constraint um, intentionally imposed by the platform to help students find the right uh, word count to deliver what they want to say. Good essays are polished and edited too, that they've gone through some rounds and revisions. Um, students, you can't write this overnight. You really can't. You can try, and many of you are very adept writers, but a better essay takes time because you need to think about what you want to say, not just how to say it. 
Um, and those two, it is a, it is a journey. I, I know many students start in their junior year and take many months to sort of come to the version and draft they're comfortable with. And that is all to the good. No writing is ever perfect. It can only get better. So, so respect that requirement. Um, I'll give you examples of an essay that I think was excellent. Um, this one is far enough back that no one here will have a direct reference to it, but um, read a really nice essay about a student uh, out West um, who at a certain juncture in high school and through middle school was really committed to dressage, right? Um, a, a magnificent sport premised upon a very particular presentation, riding horses, attire perfectly done up, and wrote a really thoughtful essay about how that experience taught the virtue of maintaining perfection, right? The idea was to be perfect in every possible presentation for the full um, run of the actual performance. It had to be perfect. That was what you were being taught to do. And then that family moved, right? And they moved to a place where dressage became untenable as a long-term practice. And this student picked up cross-country, right? A very different sort of sport. And that sport actually, by design and necessity, asks um, athletes and students to seek excellence, get better every time, right? Um, there is like the, the idea of being perfect and flawless is not possible in a sport that's asking you to push beyond your comfort zone in the act of stretching your range and improving your time, that sort of stuff. That is a really interesting counterpoint. Like seeking excellence is a really, to, to like seeking excellence is different than maintaining perfection in a really important way. And just reflecting on that, um, talking about some important, like the duality of those two things together is a really powerful essay because it tells an admissions officer that this is someone who is thinking actively about what they're gaining from the things they choose to do, right? In other words, they're highly self-aware. I've said that word earlier here today, and I think it really matters in this space. Good essays are self-aware, and that was one that was excellent. Beyond that, I'm a sucker for people who like play with the form, right? You know, if I'm going to write an essay on baking, it never hurt anybody to to mimic um, uh, a recipe style, staccato sentences, moving really quickly, offering pithy observations, while also talking about the high, the how and why of the chemistry of baking. Like students who are comfortable and adept enough as writers to play with the form. If that's your jam, do it. If it's not your jam, don't. But if you feel like you can do it, pushing yourself just a bit to see to see what comes of it is a good thing. Well, I appreciate that. And I love the example of the student who expressed how self-aware she was of really the dichotomy of experiences that she had in athletics because of the fact that her family moved to, I guess, another part of the country. And I think it's important to talk about the application as a marketing package the transcript, obviously, like you said, you know, been there, done that, this, that, that ship has sailed. Uh, there's really not much more you can do to enhance it by the time you're applying the activity sheet. That too, to a certain extent, is there. But the essay really gives you the opportunity to express who you are as a person, what experience you went through, how you reflected, how did that change um, your decision process or not, so that the admissions representative could get a true sense in terms of who you are, students, as a person. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, I really would. Uh, we, I would just say on behalf of higher education, we ask for the elements we ask for because we need them in our decision-making process. We're not creating unnecessary hurdles. And so all of these things come together in a really meaningful way for us to be able to render good, what we consider to be good and thoughtful uh, decisions. Well, we appreciate that. And Adam, aside from the academics, what can you tell us about what makes a student stand out in the overall admissions process? I will actually link it to academics, if I may, uh, and because I have a certain <laughs> way I like to talk about the application materials themselves. Uh, it is not just the independent elements that matter. We're not doing something like, is this a good transcript? Yes, no. Is this a good activity sheet? Yes, no. What we're really doing is looking for what I would call congruence between the elements of an application. In other words, does the student who has this transcript right here make sense as the person doing these activities right here? Oh, this is an interesting mix. Does it make sense? In other words, is it adding up to a believable person somehow? Um, is someone who is, you know, exploring their interests? And that's going to look different for student to student. Some students are born like leaders. They are presidents and captains of everything. That is their space. They love doing it and they showcase that. That is going to present a very particular type of application. Also, Carlton is not interested in enrolling just people who are leaders and captains and presidents. That would be an exhausting form of residential liberal arts experience in my mind. You need a medley of experiences. And also some people don't have the time to become formal captains and presidents because they have enormous home responsibilities or they're working a number of hours per week. That is wonderful to share. What we're really after here are students who have sort of understood the value of doing what they're doing and can articulate what it has come to mean for them. That might look different for the dabbler, the person who has done many different things a little bit over time. They might articulate that, like, I like to try new things and meet new people. Other people commit long-term to a series of small obligations, you know, nine years of piano, you know, soccer at club and uh, varsity level. Like, these are things that evolve in an enormous commitment of time and energy and frankly, emotional perseverance. We want to be there for that. There are other students who are deliberately um, drawn to a very narrow niche of smaller, more intimate or personal activities, like a, an art or a craft or something like that. Maybe chess is an example of this. Um, those are great essays too. We just want it to feel intentional that a student is doing something because it means something to them rather than doing something because they feel they need to put something forth on a college uh, application somewhere along the way. I will say all of these things notwithstanding, a good application also has some something somewhere between self-awareness and humility, uh, a sense that I am 17 or 18 or maybe 16. I am still a work in, in <laughs> progress, and that is a perfectly appropriate place to be. College admissions officers are are built to be sensitive to and responsive to that reality. I think we're wary uh, of people who are over-finished, over-determined, right? Because the the we know that most of our students come to uh, college and really rethink what they want to do and what they're going to major in, even if they intended and had a really concrete plan. Getting some distance from home, from some of those external pressures can help people think through how committed they are to that potential calling. And we want to protect room for that. Students with a natural humility thrive on Carleton's campus because I think Carleton's going to present all students who come here 
with a really accomplished student body. And you, many of our applicants will feel average for the first time in their life. They come from a home ecosystem where they are the shining star of their school and their community. And then you come to a place where everybody was that shining star. Um, that's going to require some retrenchment. And that's all to the good, right? This is actually great for our students, but it it's an adjustment. So students who can foreshadow some willingness to move into that space, lend themselves well to a really strong community-based environment. Final thing I'll add, John, is that I think college applications, particularly for a residential liberal arts college, like we're, we're in it to incubate optimism and openness. People who are really interested in exploring things, who are into the idea that I don't know this yet, but I'm interested. I'm curious. I want to hear more about that. I want to be around people who are different than me. Like that is a really interesting thing and something that I, I so many pressures of this, of this decade have cut against that desire to be open and optimistic. But I think we're really trying to protect spaces for students who can bring that forth in their application, because I think we want to protect and allow students some real self-determination in their college experience. And we think people who are optimistic have more room to really find something that, that speaks to them. Well, we really appreciate that. And I love what you said earlier about the congruence between the elements of the overall application. I think that's a, a fantastic line. And I also appreciate how you talked about the student that might be into athletics, might be into mm -hmm. chess, the arts. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Just use humility, students, and express who you are in the overall process, because there really is a human element to this. And yeah. speaking of you the are human enough, element, I can't yes, say it enough. You are enough, <laughs> students. You are great. Like now, tell us what you do and why you do it. Don't don't pretend to be something you're not. So, speech you over. Definitely right? are enough. You definitely are enough. Speak to who you are. Don't try to be something different. And that actually leads me to my next question. Adam, does Carlton offer any programs for students that may have had an IEP while in high school, of course, to help ensure that they continue to be successful once they're on your campus? And if you offer any programs, please elaborate. Thank you. Yeah, I would be happy to talk about this because I think it's really important and only a growing part or a portion of our, our sort of onboarding work for families and students. Like, how do I transition my home support networks into a place that in some cases might be very far from home, right? Like, how do I set up a new home support network in a place that is not my home? And so we have a whole office at Carleton built on this. It's called um, the Office of Accessibility Resources. And that sort of tells you something critical about what this office is meant to do. It is incumbent upon us, if we admit you, to make sure that you can thrive on our campus. And we all need different tools to thrive. One of the things we're at pains to help students um, understand when they're first arriving at Carleton is that everybody needs help. For some people, maybe on an IEP, they've recognized some supports that they need to really take off in high school. Other students are realizing that at age 18, 19, when they're arriving at college. And so we want to norm the idea that everyone needs help sometimes uh, and we're better off for it when we seek that stuff. So um, accessibility resources is your hub for everything from I need lecture capture services all the way out to specialty dorm accommodations because of some sensitivities of one kind or another. IEPs take on so many different forms that I don't want to sort of like bind them here, but I think it's really good guidance for every single student looking at Carlton or elsewhere to seek out that uh, accessibility resources, something like that is going to exist in every in every college or university format. 
I do think because we're small, it's important to understand that we are able to spend the summer really helping students like find their way into Carleton with a almost personalized touch, like top to bottom. Like I think sometimes people ask me, what do you do with your summer? What do you do with all that time off? And <laughs> the, the reality of my life is like, I spent this time talking to colleagues across campus who are going to receive these incoming students to make sure that those incoming students' needs, as articulated in the application and the onboarding materials, are being met. So we individually assign roommates with a real close attention to folks who tend to lend themselves to a cohesive residential experience. We really intentionally link up advisors with advisees, making sure that caseload is manageable, but Imagine a situation where if you're a first generation college goer and you don't really understand what you're getting into, there might be real value in having a first generation faculty or staff member there to help you who can empathize personally with where you're at in your search process. So that is the value of our elongated onboarding process. It takes roughly three months to help our families and students transition to a place where I'm not going to pretend that first trimester at Carleton isn't a bit of a a bit of a bump. It is for everybody who goes to college, but we do our level best to make sure students are finding answers and resources they need to really make the most of the time that they have here. Well, we appreciate that. And you mentioned the trimester. So could you just elaborate a little bit on the trimester system? I would be happy to. It's one of the things that makes Carleton sort of unique. And I, I probably should have mentioned it earlier, I suppose. Carleton is one of few places in sort of the higher ed landscape that sort of has committed to a trimester academic calendar. For families and students out there, this means that our students take, in most all cases, only three classes at a time um, over a 10-week term. And they do this three times per year, hence trimester. Right. Um, this is contrast with semesters at the uh, college or university level, which is usually four, maybe five classes over 14 or 15 weeks and just two of those a year. So Carlton makes a really explicit deal with students and families. Uh, and that deal is juggle less at one time, only three classes. OK, flip side of that is that our students are asked to move really quickly and deeply into material because our calendar is compressed. We have faculty who are committed to making this work and they see real pedagogical value in this structure, but it is fair to say that Carleton is a paced learning environment. And so one thing we look for in students uh, are, are students who are, are comfortable sort of adjusting to rigor and pacing uh, and sort of understand that Carleton requires some uh, focus. It's not a not a place with an unsteady sort of schedule. It just feels like it. You go from no classes to classes and a steady like idle all the way to the end of the year. It just feels like you move through it. There are some virtues there. We have a six or seven week winter break coming up here, which we have every year. But like it is an unusual rhythm uh, for sure. Well, we appreciate that insight. And Adam, this mm -hmm. has been a phenomenal conversation. Let me ask you, is there a question that you wish I had asked that I didn't or any other topic that you want to share with the listeners today? I want to say one thing, and this pertains to the college search advice section that I think is probably worth adding here. Um, I think that I the, the more I do this, the more excited I get to sort of help families and students come together to understand the, the roles they might meaningfully have with each other. And one of those is understanding that college search is a student and family partnership. I think it's 
really important to find a sustainable and safe rhythm for talking about the college search in an ongoing, like, long-term way without it becoming oppressive, without it becoming a situation where a student in the college search is overwhelmed and shuts down, and without it becoming a place where families' anxieties overdetermine or influence a student's anxieties. Like, there's a way to set up a rhythm there. And so one of those things that I'd like a lot is like, Pick a day of the week that you're going to talk about the college search at your dinner table, right? And that's the day. That doesn't mean you can break, like if it's on a Tuesday, great. But if you got a thought on Friday, you got to put it down and wait till Tuesday to bring it up again, because everyone knowing that that's coming up is a really valuable thing. Um, I also think the relationship between parents and guardians and students is really important to get right. Um, I, I think parents know that students will confide in you. They will share things with you. And your job is to be receptive to it and to let them hear what they're saying in the words as you understood it without judging or rewriting what you're hearing um, in a way that overwrites what was really said. I think that's a really helpful thing because this process is pretty, pretty hard to parse. I recognize we've created a really amazing higher education landscape, the, the envy of the globe in many ways, but it's really hard to hack through without a sustained commitment. And so in that world, how do you find the right roles for people to, to take on? And I think that that's the one. Students are steering this bus, but families have a role to play. Find a way to bind or bound those roles in ways that, that work for everybody involved. So. Well, we appreciate that. And like I said, this has been a phenomenal conversation, Adam, which leads me to my last question. What are your top three pieces of advice for students and their parents who are getting ready for the college admissions process? <laughs> um, I think it's really important to accept this college search as a uh, journey with multiple and <laughs> valid and varied endpoints, right? I think many people start this college search process believing that it is a funnel in the truest sense of the word. I will look at 50 colleges, I will apply to 10, <laughs> and I will be given the one right true answer. And the truth is, higher education in this country doesn't permit that. It's going to kick out multiple in, like matches that could deliver an exceptional experience to a student. And that can be really frustrating if you're not comfortable with that. And I think for young people, you're, it's particularly frustrating. Uh, many of them want it to work in a really reductive fashion. Kick out the thing I should go to and I'll go to the thing so I can check this off the list and be done with it. The college search is full of gut check calls and you're like, this feels right, which is like a really hard place to be in if you're younger and you're used to having something work out mathematically. You're responding to feelings and that's not everyone's wheelhouse, right? There's of course data out there, <laughs> cost and admissibility odds, but like don't sleep on the, does it feel like a place I could have a really great experience? Feelings are hard to parse and take time. And so I would say um, this project is not finished in a weekend. Right. This project takes time. And <laughs> sure. There's such thing as starting too early, but I think there's such thing as starting too late as well. Giving yourself time to sort of grow into it, to plug in intensely and then step away for some stock taking or reflecting and then jumping back in. That gives you room for research. It gives you room for reflection. It gives you room for assessment and revision. I think that I run into people who are like, I was going to apply, then I changed my mind and I'm going to apply it a different round. And my what that tells me is like they're intentional. 
They have thought about why they're applying and where they're applying to. And I wish those students and families all the luck in the world. They're owning this process in the way it was designed to be owned. And like, that's great. Colleges and admissions offices the world over understand that process. So it also involves asking for help at a lot of junctures from people in your neighborhood if you're on the college search. Might be a neighbor for input at the institution they went to. It's going to be your high school counselors who might have to kick out documentation to many admissions offices offices. It might be letters of recommendation from employers or teachers or coaches. These are things that you will get a warmer reception to the ask if you ask well in advance of a deadline. And so I encourage people to not miss that as something that can really help this process feel more humane and frankly, more fulfilling. In my my ultimate universe, the college search is a deeply rewarding journey of self-discovery and not a sort of forced march to a um, end point that it like wears everybody out. It shouldn't be like that. Well, we really appreciate that. Adam, I am so happy that you gave of your time and your insight today. This is going to help a lot of students and their parents. I cannot thank you enough. And I really hope to have you again soon. Thanks, John. I appreciate the time. Good luck. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Cap, the College Admissions Process Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please don't forget to tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. I am your host, John Durante, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Cap.